Finally, Lauren Hart. Thank you. Um, so I'm a sub, so if this really stinks, you know, um, I'm a last-minute substitute. And, uh, and I also put together this outline in between dinner and now. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't so last-minute, but it wasn't as early as some of the other people that I was invited. But that's all right. I'm not taking it personal, Philip. I am. Um, <laughs> No, so, uh, th- but this will be different than my last presentation where I had every word picked out, so please bear with me. Um, and I'm, this is also going to have something in common with the, the comments made by James Coley, and I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's something in the water at the UNC Philosophy Department where we both studied. <laughs> um, so I'd like to start off by talking about Noam Chomsky, actually, who spoke at UNC recently. I had a chance to be there for some of his remarks. I asked him a question, and, and uh, I said, you know, how do you envision humanity in 50 or 100 or even 500 years, and his response was that he wasn't terribly optimistic. He was not terribly optimistic because of two things, nuclear weapons and the environmental challenges facing us. So I'd like to just briefly mention those. Uh, Nuclear weapons, they're bad. You know, they're really powerful. They have really uh, detrimental effects, and uh, I'll leave it there since we don't have that much time. The environmental crisis, it's also bad. Uh, You know, we're in in a bad way. We have serious problems. Um, that could potentially make this planet uh, uninhabitable for humans. Um, borrowing also, again, from Noam Chomsky, he said that part of the environmental crisis was related to our, or largely due to our economic system, which values short-term gains uh, no matter what the long-term effects are or no matter what the effects are to the health of the system on the whole year. Um, and... Uh, in terms of the environmental crisis, I'd also like to uh, recall something that Paul Watson of the Sea Shepherd Society has said, which is that, you know, with the environmental uh, crisis, we may not be able to uh, head it off. We, it may happen, and this planet may be uh, uninhabitable for humans, um, and that may not be a bad thing. Um, so, you know, that would be a great thing for other species who are suffering because of our inability to live in a responsible way. Um, so I do have reasons for hope, though, um, given, I mean, you know, Noam didn't seem to have very much hope, but uh, I do have some hope. Um, and I would say that we should have hope because we can act. And, um, and, and, and with the knowledge that past social movements have succeeded, and uh, I can't list them all, but I thought I'd mention a few, um, the, the, in the abolition of uh, institutional slavery in the United States, for example, the civil rights movement, voting rights and other rights for women, uh, laws to protect children from labor, for example, uh, immigrant uh, rights for immigrant workers, increased animal rights, gay rights, rights for those who are, who are differently abled. Um, so this all, these are all things that give me uh, hope that we can, that, that it's, it's not pointless uh, to act, uh, to end nuclear weapons, and uh, to try and do something to prevent an environmental crisis. Um, and in fact, I'm not an expert in the nuclear uh, abolition movement, the nuclear weapons abolition movement, but, uh, but I heard or read recently that um, you know, landmines and chemical and biological weapons uh, have already had a lot of, um, there's been a lot of success in, in outlawing and ending their use. Um, Another reason for hope or motivation for, for action comes from another 
a uh, person I have a lot of respect for, uh, and that's Howard Zinn. And he has said that, you know, if we don't do anything, we're pretty sure that we're going to get where we're headed. Um, and if we do act, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to succeed, but we're not going to succeed if we don't try. And in addition to that, uh, working to improve the world also makes it, it feels good, or it can feel good, and you come into contact with a lot of great people, and that's, that's what I found personally. And I just thought I'd take a moment to, to mention a couple of things from my own uh, advocacy work. Um, do I have time, though? Um, yeah, one minute. Okay. Well, one of the most uh, meaningful activities I've found is, is doing leafleting, and I do a lot of it with a, a group called Vegan Outreach. There's some leaflets back there that I think Brian brought. This is one I hand out a lot called Compassionate Choices. It, it raises awareness about factory farming or industrial animal agriculture and also promotes vegetarianism. Uh, that happens to fit my persuasions, but, I mean, you could also leaflet about any other object, and I find that to be a really useful way of, of reaching out to people. And my impression is that when I hand someone a booklet and they look at it, they have uh, new, a new perspective, new knowledge on, for example, factory farming because they see the pictures. Um, so I find that to be one of the most meaningful things I do is, is reaching out to people like that, often on college campuses. Um, I also have done some work with the Humane Society of the United States who does ballot initiatives. And this summer I went up to Ohio for a week and volunteered with a campaign there to create new regulations for factory farming. And um, while I don't know exactly what the Freedom Summer felt like, you know, what it was like to be there during the Civil Rights era, I can say that it was a very powerful experience to be with a group of people uh, in Ohio this summer who were working every day or, or whenever they could to, uh, to, to institute these changes. Um, quickly, two last points. One is, uh, those are two examples of advocacy successes that I've had or things that have really done it for me. There's been a lot of other work that wasn't very meaningful or successful, and I'm just thankful that I found that and would encourage anyone who maybe doesn't feel like they've found that thing that really does it for them, where they really feel like they're making a meaningful contribution to keep searching, because I think it's out there. And uh, I don't think people in this room probably need to hear this, because you're already going to do it anyway, but please vote. It's the midterm elections. Thank you. So, sorry. So my Reader's Digest summary is the two key issues are nuclear proliferation and the environmental crisis, and what we should do is really act, do things uh, to get out there and make sure people know about these issues and what they can do about it, and leafleting. Is that a fair summary? Any clarifying comments? Let me, uh, before we throw it open to discussion, one thing I, you know, I'm always honored to be able to moderate this discussion because we always have amazing speakers. You guys all have such a wealth of knowledge and information, a great way of presenting it. So thanks so much for, for your efforts. And one thing I always found, find really interesting is we all come at these issues from our own life trajectories, which may be very different, but there's a lot of, a lot of times a lot of commonality. Tonight I found um, about three or four areas of commonality one thing that I found very common amongst all the speakers was that of getting along. Uh, we're on the same spaceship, Mother Earth, and we need to get along. And uh, um, Chris talked about uh, objectively looking at where we're at and, and not sugarcoating things or looking at it from a, from a biased view. Callie thought, talked about a sense of community, that we're part of a larger whole. James talked about war, why war erupts when th people you know, don't get along. 
Uh, Jimmy talked about wars of ignorance when we don't, you know, we feed people things they really shouldn't be eating. Lauren talked about nuclear weapons. Jan talked about tolerance. And I think those all related to getting along. A number of people talked about money and economic issues, political economic issues. Lauren's talked about voting and how you need to be, take part in the political process. Chris talked about rewarding people who had integrated holistic values. Um, James talked about concern for inequality when money goes awry, when, some, when you have a lot of have-nots and less haves, and, and when that uh, scale tips, and there's, there's issues there. Jimmy talked about corporate greed, uh, and Lauren talked about an economic system that focuses on short-term versus mid-term versus or long-term progress. So there was a lot of focus on money and economics. Another common, common point I found that all the speakers had was that of integrative values. For example, Callie talked about uh, personal responsibility. Uh, Jimmy talked about um, the viability of... Um, I can't read my writing. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Selling viability of corporations selling positive things. So while you know you can go out and make a buck doing almost anything, you should have some responsibility for what things you you want to sell and you want to you want to get out there in the in the marketplace. Lauren talked about uh, environment and how we all are integrated by the environment within which we live and how we should take steps to make sure the environment is as positive as it could be. Um, some of the key concepts, some of the key uh, calls to action that all six of the panelists had, I think, are to be educated, to understand what these issues are, and to educate others. Um, one other thing that uh, Chris in particular talked about is objectivity. So we may have a very strong view colored by our, our religious or, or a-religious or, or political perspective, but as much as possible, uh, we need to be objective in, in getting that, object, uh, that education and, and sharing that with others. We need to be grateful. We need to have some humility. That, was, that, that term was actually used, I think, by, by Callie, but many of you really reflected on being grateful. Being objectively smart, so not just being objective, but being smart about things, not being mired in, in ignorance. Uh, supporting the UN came up, uh, one person, I think it was uh, James mentioned that, uh, an integrative organization, Taking care of yourself. Before you help others, you've got to take care of yourself. And that came up from a few panelists. Uh, and then a number of panelists talked about, Lauren being the last one, taking positive actions and, and being involved. So I, I saw a lot of commonality in the, in the panel. So with that, it's almost 9.30. Let's break it open for about 15 minutes or so. I'm sure you guys are itching to ask some questions, and I invite us to have three or four questions. I'll make sure everybody in the panel gets a chance to address them. So who would like to go first with... a Important, broad question. So, Brian Donlin, I'll repeat the question. It has to be important. Huh? It has to be important. <laughs> Mine isn't a question. Mine is, uh, has to do with my pet peeve. Dilip and I have talked about uh, a lot. Uh, that's personal responsibility. Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> because I believe that is the core, that is the foundational value that affects all of these problems. It is certainly what drives all of these problems. If you don't have personal responsibility, you're going to act in harmful ways. And that starts with the family, get those foundations, foundational values, to get highly, uh, highly instructed parents to teach you how to analyze problems and how to prohibit yourself and others from committing these atrocities. Um, also, it 
is it aligned with not just personal responsibility, but societal accountability? We have almost no societal accountability anymore. You see all these uh, Ponzi schemes, etc., and it ranges everywhere from your own personal accountability. When you see yourself doing something wrong, berate yourself. <laughs> Maybe be gentle to a degree, but berate yourself and make yourself change. I do. I berate myself all the time. So if you don't berate yourself and try to make that change with yourself, why should you do it with somebody else and then complain about society's problems? So personal responsibility and accountability, I think, would solve all of these problems, greed, whatever, war, etc. So also on the point of nuclear weapons, it's not just nuclear weapons, it's nuclear power, too, which Obama seems to love, along with clean coal, there's no such thing, etc. So, but, uh, so, so is there a question you want people to address then, or are you just making well, a comment? Well, the question I want people to address is what are they doing themselves to act in a personally responsible way? Okay. You may be uh, very personally responsible in one area, but we as humans compartmentalize and don't expand the boundaries of compassion to other species, to other races, or to the earth. Okay, so... Uh, so Brian is asking to amplify the notion of personal responsibility, and uh, sometimes we compartmentalize. We try to do something good, but we restrict just to our family or to people of our nation and, uh, or our, our, our species. So Brian would like um, some panelists to address that. How can we, in our own lives, use personal responsibility to further refine our uh, values and improve, uh, improve the way we conduct ourselves? Is that... Fair summary of your question? Basically, but personal uh, and accountability. accountability. So I'd, I'd like to ask three panelists. Callie specifically talked about this. I'd like Callie, Jimmy talked about uh, choices we make in terms of food and, and economic choices, and, and Jan talked about intolerance. I wonder if these three panelists could amplify on that a little bit. Uh, well, I like to play the what would I do if my grandmother was sitting in the car next to me game. <laughs> uh, my great-grandmother Rose was probably my hero in my whole life. I never heard her say an unkind word about another person, which I can't say about anybody else I've ever encountered in my life, including myself. Um, but I try to think, if she was sitting next to me watching what I was doing, would she approve? You know, and granted, that's someone who was born in 1900, so there's a much different standard of what's right and wrong, but it helps keep me in check. Uh, I think we have a lot of problems right now also thinking that everyone's out to get us. Nobody else is acting in our best interest, so we're going to get ours before somebody else takes it from us. Or, you know, say the Republicans are doing everything wrong, so we've got to fight back as Democrats and do this, this, and this. While I may have a certain political belief, I don't really believe anyone is out to ruin the country. They may have different, a different way of looking at things, and that's more of the sense of community. When I take the time to know that person and understand where they're coming from... I might be able to find more common ground, and I, I feel like we're so polarized, uh, like we've talked about here today, that, that there is that fear that other people want to hurt us, not help us. You know, but when you are part of a family or part of a neighborhood, you think other people in your small area want to help you and are supporting you. So if we can get back to that place where we feel supported or we feel like we're supporting other people, and that's something I have a hard time with. Like I said, I go back to the, you know, my grandma sitting right next to me, how would I act? And, and try to put that on my shoulders. So I'm not necessarily beating myself up. I'm more 
you know, striving for this really high standard and setting a goal that I that I reach for. And it's hard for me to attain, and, and I don't make it every day, but I do like challenges, and I like trying to be a better person every day, so I try to reward myself when I do good things. Jimmy, can you address uh, Brian's question, please? Well, we, we all have uh, the ability to make determinations in our life, and I think that's a critical part of this self-responsibility uh, we also have the ability to turn poison into medicine. Um, there's situations when um, self-control um, and the ability to um, do the right things for ourselves is limited. And that occurs when we're very young or infants and um, maybe up to age of five or six. And there the responsibility is not for the child because the child is introduced into a environment that is created by people and their surroundings. So um, there we have a responsibility to make sure that children have the best life course advantage at a very early age. Because often what um, a children is exposed to food-wise or environmental-wise affects them throughout their life course. And we, we very much know now that uh, children that have deprivation early on uh, often go on to have severe diabetes and obesity. Uh, children that are exposed to um, various toxins will manifest in, in other ways in their, in their health. So it's important for that responsibility to start with people that have the ability to be responsible, and that's parents and um, neighbors and community leaders, leaders. And that holds true for all groups that uh, are vulnerable populations. It may be children. It may be um, people in, in war zones that are have a lot of harm inflicted on them through actions that aren't of their own responsibility. So the responsibility, yes, is important. But there are people that are vulnerable that you know um, haven't done anything wrong. That we always have to make sure that you know that uh, people guard the um, health, safety, and well-being of, of the vulnerable populations. Jen? I think I've heard it said that well, we've lost our sense of shame that uh, kids who, you know, cheat in, in school because everybody's doing it and, and don't even understand what plagiarism is, um, Politicians who get away with behavior that, you know, 20 years ago would uh, send them into exile for good. Uh, I don't know how you go about reinstating that, but it, it seems to be in many cases it would be a good idea. Um, in, in terms of personal behavior, what I strive for is trying to listen 
to the other person, listen to these ideas, try and understand where they're coming from, what motivates them, not have a knee-jerk reaction to an idea that I don't approve of. Uh, I like Callie's statement about politicians that you don't agree with. You know, doesn't mean they're they're bad people or they want bad things. It's you know, you may not agree with the methodology and and sincerely believe that it would lead to bad things, but it's not the motivating factor. Um, so I think the idea of of uh, reaching for a comp, some sort of commonality with in your relationships, uh, trying to seek a resolution that is agreeable to both parties, not in a manner where you're giving up your beliefs or, or values, but something that gets you to a position greater than where you started from. Uh, yes, any other panelists? And Lauren, would you like to say something else? Well, I have something to say about it, uh, but first I'd like to say, and this is in a spirit of personal responsibility, that I misspoke earlier when I said that I was uh, a last-minute edition. I was a late edition. Um, and the reason I was, uh, you know, working on my outline after dinner was, was uh, again, an issue of personal responsibility. <laughs> because the last two days when I meant to be working on, uh, when, I was meant, when I meant to work on this, I was uh, emailing about other topics. Uh, that said, um, this is, I'm, I'm glad this came up from Callie and that you asked about it because it's been an issue that's actually been on my mind as I was thinking about what I would say today. And uh, I was thinking back on my own life and, and some of the regrettable things that I've done and, and what led to that. And uh, it occurred to me that I, I wonder how much of that could have been prevented or, or if, if I had a community you know, or a stronger community where I felt a stronger sense of accountability. But the time in my life um, when I was doing things uh, <laughs> that I, I regret, um, or, or more things that I regret, you know, where I felt like, um, yeah, I think that was an issue. And, and just, I'd like to also express my own struggle for community, and maybe some of you share this, I don't know, but, um, you know, it, it seems hard. It seems like our society is, is set up uh, to break community. Uh, it, it is divisive. It is polarizing, as Rich said. Um, and uh, I think back to my own experience. I was a, I, after my studies at UNC. A, a couple years later, I went to to Denmark for a semester uh, to study abroad. And um, that is a country of about six million people. The state of North Carolina, I think, is between eight and nine million. So this is a whole country with, you know, it's much smaller in geography than North Carolina and also in population. And just this, and it's also a, a more homogenous culture that has been fairly stable in terms of its cultural makeup for centuries. But the, I had a very real sense there that there was a greater sense of responsibility to others and that there was less divisiveness. Um, and I appreciated that, and I've been yearning for that ever since I left. Um, and another, just the last thing I'll say about this is it, it seems to me that, you know, who are we supposed to learn community from when, when you know, those who have come before us, our parents' generation, for example, um, maybe 
have faced similar struggles. Oh, and the, and the really last point is just with work. You know, we, uh, we work, I guess people these days work a whole lot of different jobs over the course of their lifetime. And it seems to me that your work life, which may be 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week, you know, you, you establish relationships there and then you're fired or downsized or you move on to something else. And it seems to me that's a real struggle to uh, build community with uh, these sorts of factors at play. How about another question from the floor? Yeah. I have a quick comment and a specific question. So my comment about tolerance is years ago, uh, someone told me, uh, and they didn't mean this to be a good thing, that I was tolerant of everything except intolerance. And I thought that was interesting. It made me think about it. Maybe I should be more understanding of people who don't tolerate certain other people. Uh, And... um, the other thing that's a specific question is, I was, the way you put it really struck me about the environmental issues, because I was thinking, like, who's the larger organization that's responsible uh, for, for the world? Well, the only large organization is the United Nations. Do they do much regarding environmental issues, or are they more interested in, like, saying, Okay, so the uh, comment is, uh, should one be tolerant of intolerance? And uh, the question was, well, the environment, that's a big issue. And, you know, she's just throwing, her, throwing it out, out there. Does the United Nations have a, uh, have a mandate, responsibility? Can they do something? Is it actionable, so to speak, by the UN? And why don't I simply ask the other panelists, uh, uh, starting with Chris and, and James, um, to answer that. So, James, this is the mic in front of you. Well, I was uh, struck by... One thing in uh, Jan's remarks, and I, I don't mean to say this to catch you out with an inconsistency or something like that. It's just an interesting thing uh, that always arises when the issue, I think, of tolerance and intolerance is discussed in a serious way. Uh, Jan, one of the first things you said was that you think a big problem is intolerance. And then later on, you said something about bullying, and you mentioned that when you see bullying, you shouldn't tolerate it. And and I agree with you there. But what that brings to light is that you can't just say that intolerance per se is a moral vice. You have to get into the weeds a bit. You have to talk about specifics. You have to come up with some standards that you use to decide what you tolerate and what you don't tolerate because some things should not be tolerated. So it seems to me uh, a good thing that uh, you uh, would tolerate everything but intolerance because you should be intolerant of intolerance. Perhaps if the intolerance is a person. Like, you tolerate everything except people who are intolerant. So how do you separate the person from their views, I guess? Uh, So sometimes you're saying uh, you may have trouble separating a person from their views. You may strongly disagree with their views, but you don't want to be intolerant or dismissive or hostile to that person. Is that the whatever? What, whatever. That yeah, good. yeah, I, I agree. Whatever. I think everybody else has uh, pretty much summed up the uh, attitude about uh, uh, tolerance and intolerance. It, it is a logical in- inconsistency. It seems to say you're intolerant of, uh, that you're not going to tolerate in- intolerance. Um, uh, but but you you have to you have to realize again there's people behind these these statements there's people and if you seek to understand people then it may knock down some of that intolerance both in yourself and in them as well people want to be heard when they're not heard they get angry 
when they get angry, bad things happen. So I think you know, if you learn to, to listen and try to reflect on what the people have said, uh, even if you disagree with it, uh, I think that's, that's taking a, a big first step. And, and I agree with James. Uh, there's some things we shouldn't tolerate. We shouldn't tolerate murder. We shouldn't uh, tolerate pedophilia. We shouldn't tolerate all, all kinds of things. Uh, we have jails and places where we put people who want to do those kinds of things. Uh, but how we treat the people uh, is something we have to be very careful of always. We have to treat them with some type of dig- dignity and respect, uh, even if their actions don't, don't deem that respect. We should treat them in a way that, that will bring out their best, uh, not that will make them want to come back with worse. Anybody else in the panel have a comment about that? Jan, you did. Mary's question about the UN and what they're doing with the environment. I can't give you specifics, but I know they do have big initiatives going on in terms of global uh, environmental issues. Have you ever heard of the um, the IPCC, the, the 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 climate change agency that the United Nations runs? Yeah, they're they're the ones who who aggregate reports from all over the world about climate change and publicize that. And those were the people. Some of their people were attacked by conservatives uh, uh, around the world, saying that they were uh, uh, fudging and faking the data. And then some of that was even based on some. So there is an agency in the U.N. that is looking at, at, at environmental issues, uh, and the best they can do is usually is to report on issues because they can't make anybody do anything. There was a big conference um, within the last few years in Copenhagen, wasn't it, about climate change? And, 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 and that was, I believe, sponsored by the United Nations or was done in, in some way or other through the United Nations. Well, one final question. It's uh, about a quarter of, so I don't want to keep us much later, but is there any other question from the floor? There's any panel? Yes, F. L. So Al has asked an interesting question. He wants anybody in the panel to address uh, generational issues. And so is it the case that, you know, we've kind of, we're different, I think all of us here are middle age or so, and is it okay to kind of pontificate and say there's some issues out there, but let's let the younger folks to deal with it. We've enjoyed life. Let other, is, that, is that kind of fear? Well, no, I mean, I guess I'm saying their culture is a little different than, than what, the way we mostly grew up. Right. Okay, so the, the question really is one of uh, change is important for, for, you know, for being progressive, essentially. And so what responsibility do, do my daughter, for example, the next generation yeah, for coming up? Has anybody thought about or analyzed the abilities and uh, motivation of the next generation to solve these problems? So can the next generation solve these problems? I'll just throw that open to anybody on the panel. Okay, Kelly? because I have no children and really no expertise to comment on this. Um, I just believe in the human spirit, and as long as we're breathing, there's hope. I don't think children are really that well prepared these days. 
uh, I think there's so much pressure starting from such a young age. You know, they're already talking at college at two and your extracurricular activities and you, 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 you. I don't think people are raised to think of bigger things. But the more I'm involved in organizations like this, the more I see there there is a growing number of people who are responding to this and who are raising responsible children and who are educating their children in ways that our schools are not educating. And there are just some brilliant, brilliant minds out there. I mean, 20 years ago, I couldn't have even envisioned an iPhone, you know, to make it a simple thing. So who knows what the minds of our children are going to be able to envision to fix some of the problems that we've gotten ourselves into now. You know, it's things that we probably can't even envision. And, and these minds are going to come together and the energy that's going to come with them when they get there to, to create these wonderful things. And so, you know, as long as I breathe, I hope and, and I keep optimism that good things are coming. Anybody else in the panel? Jen? I think if you follow some of the, the polls on people's attitudes over the last few years, you will see a real increase in people's attitudes uh, about differences, whether it's things like, you know, gay marriage or um, other, you know, kind of civil rights uh, issues. Uh, I have great hopes for uh, how uh, society will be in a, you know, another 10, 20 years. And I think Lauren's list of um, social justice issues, I mean, what did it take, 60 years or something for women to get the vote? Um, all these things have been uh, progressive civil rights issues and and forward movement, I would say, taking much too long, but getting there anyway. Anybody else in the panel? Well, I'd just like to make one, one quick remark. I uh, want to second Callie's call for hope. And again, I think that's something very different from faith. I'm not a fan of faith, but I'm a big fan of hope, which I think is something very different. Uh, Lauren, you said that when you were speaking to Noam Chomsky, he did not express much optimism about the future for humanity. I draw a distinction between optimism and hope. Optimism is when you believe that things are going to work out for the best. Well, when we look at a lot of the environmental issues and, and, and other challenges facing humanity, we don't find sometimes a lot of reason for optimism. It doesn't seem that it's very rational to think that things are going to turn out well. They may turn out very, very badly. So we may not have much in the way of grounds for optimism. But optimism is one thing. It's the belief that things are going to work out okay. Hope is a feeling. It's not a belief about how things are going to turn out. It's just the feeling that this is important enough that you have to keep trying. So as long as we can hold on to that feeling, no matter how big the challenges are, we can have hope, if not optimism. Um, well, 
I think on that very positive note, I wanted to bring the evening to a close. I wanted to have a round of applause for the panelists. <laughs>